Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today in the show, we get to look at 1 Samuel chapter 20. Then David fled from Nioth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as Yahweh lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, Good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore deal kindly with your servant, for you have yourself. You have brought your servant into a covenant of Yahweh with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, Yahweh, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, on the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, Yahweh do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May Yahweh be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of Yahweh that I may not die, and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when Yahweh cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May Yahweh take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon. And you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand. And remain beside the stone heap, and I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy, saying, Go, find the arrows. If I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them. Then you are to come, for as Yahweh lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, Look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for Yahweh has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, Yahweh is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat as at other times on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, Something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. 
But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food for the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of Yahweh, saying, Yahweh shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So in this text, we're going to end up seeing the seventh attempt that Saul makes on David's life. Again, indirect at this point as he's seeking to work through Jonathan to bring David before him. So Saul would actually do the killing. So I guess you could say this really is the the fourth direct attempt um, to take David's life. That's going to come in this text. Now, In verse 2, Saul had told Jonathan already, back in the previous chapter, chapter 19, verse 1, of his intention to kill David. So it's interesting to see Jonathan here denying that Saul would possibly do that to David. He already knows it. It's, it's been attempted before. Now, Jonathan would warn David at that point in chapter 19, verses 2 and 3, and he's going to do it again in this chapter of his father's intentions. One of the interesting lines in this text is probably right there in this section, verse 3, David speaking, saying that there is but a step between me and death. That's true of us today. I mean, it's a phrase that just means death is close by, it's It's coming. And that's true of us. 
we do not know our day or hour. We don't know when we will meet meet death. It could be in an accident. It could happen today. It could happen in 30 years. It could be from sickness. It could be from violence. We really just don't know how or when. But as sinners, death is imminent. Unless, share the gospel with your family, unless Christ forgives us, in which case even tasting death in this world, we will have life that never ends. Or if Christ returns, Christ has promised that he is returning. We know he will. The matter is just a matter of when. So if Christ returns before you die, then you never die. But outside of those considerations, what David said of himself is really true of all people. Death is but a step from me. Now, David's going to cast a plot to prove to Jonathan how evil his father's intentions are. And so you get this whole conversation around new moon festivals and dinner with the king's palace. Um, well, the king's house at this point. And then even the, the plotting with the arrows as Jonathan keeps this all going. And then they actually, they go and do it. It's really neat. I was about to say it's interesting or neat. At the end of the text, it's more confusing than anything. The arrow exercise didn't do anything. Right? Jonathan was going to communicate to David by the way he speaks to the servant boy how David should react, how David should respond. Um, should he stay or should he flee? But then Jonathan sends the servant boy back to the city and actually speaks to David anyway. So the whole plot was unnecessary for Jonathan to make. Still, the, the idea of going out and shooting arrows in the field, that, that works. But the rest of it was over the top, unnecessary from the way the matter ended up settling. Just a curiosity about the text there. We do see David lie um, about his intentions in verse 6. So that's not good. David is not perfect. It's one of the things about the scriptures. The scriptures are filled with imperfect people. And we get to see God work through them anyway to bring about his kingdom. And in particular for Old Testament figures, that means to bring about his son Jesus. This should be of a, a great comfort to us because I would imagine you think the same way. I know I'm a sinner. I sin terribly against the Lord. And yet the Lord, as a loving father, chooses to work through me anyway. He chooses to look at me as his son and involve me in the work of his kingdom. That's incredible to think about. And it's it's something that really does come through even in this text. We're going to see... and. Saul is set up as evil, and David and Jonathan are set up as the good guys, but even David and Jonathan are filled with lies and deceit. So that's not good. They're not perfect. There only is ever one who was, and he was crucified. David brings up the covenant idea again. We saw them make that back in chapter 18, verse 3. And even here, there's no details given about it, so we just don't know much about that covenant. And then verse 12, as Jonathan calls upon Yahweh to be witness, that's a true statement. God is witness of all things. God is omniscient and omnipresent. 
he is all knowing and he is all all well, he's everywhere. So he is indeed witness to this. In verse 13, Jonathan makes an oath similar to what Saul did back in chapter 14, verse 44. The Lord do so to me and more also. For Saul is in reference to the sin of his son. For Jonathan's here in reference to not telling David. Jonathan then says, May Yahweh be with you as he has been with my father. Does Jonathan realize at this point that God is no longer with his father? I'm not sure he's made that connection yet, but Yahweh has abandoned Saul. Uh, he has rejected Saul because of Saul's faithlessness. In verse 15, Jonathan does understand that God has something special, some kind of a, a holy set-apart purpose for David. He gets that, even if he doesn't know what it is. In verse 17, Jonathan makes David swear. So we've seen Jonathan, uh, we've seen David vow in the text. We've seen him now swear in the text. These are things that we're going to, in the New Testament, by Jesus himself, be instructed not to do. But David's going to do it, and he's going to keep that, that oath that he makes to Jonathan. Uh, he's going to take care of the, the household of Jonathan in the future. Saul's response when David is absent, at first it's a, a matter of uncleanness. And this is true of, of the culture at the time. It's the Old Testament laws. You can read about uncleanness in, in different parts of the Old Testament, including, for example, Leviticus. If a man did something that made him unclean, and there were several different things that could make you unclean, you were to go outside of the camp, wash yourself, and be unclean until evening. So here's kind of a context that helps understand what's getting at Saul and in that paragraph starting at verse 26. He believes that it's as simple as that, that David has become unclean for the day, whatever it was that he was doing, so he can't come to dinner today. But when tomorrow comes and David's still not there, Saul realizes something's up. David would not have become unclean two days in a row uh, uncleanness is a thing that just happens by accident. Uh, so David would have been extra careful on this next day so that he could attend the festival. So Saul knows something is up. Jonathan lies, just as David had asked him to do, trying to cover for David here. And Saul gets angry. Angry to the point where, well, he curses Jonathan's mother. This is, this is the only thing we ever hear of Jonathan's mother. We don't know the rest of these details. Uh, whether this is actually a true statement or if it's just something Saul is speaking out of complete and total rage uh, against his son at this point. He notes in verse 31, as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Saul realizes that God intends to take the kingdom from him and give it to, to David. He knows it. And so he's trying to he's trying to tell his son, Jonathan, that David stands in the way, David stands in between him and the throne. A conversation in our families could be involving the idea of a king. Would a good king act in this way? Who is the only good king? Who is our king? 
those are some similar questions that you can eventually kind of turn the conversation to as you talk about kingship. The last note for the day, verse 33, Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. And that's not David. This is Jonathan still. Saul just in his rage and blindness here, his blinded rage, tried to kill his own son. That's how far gone he is. Tomorrow we'll gather again uh, and see David on the run.